What number is this, Chip? Zilch 169. Monkeys 101 for One Man Shy. The Farewell Tour, mostly still on. And lots, lots more. And Sarah Clark. Hey, everybody. Okay, no, I mean, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short. I'm You're listening to Zilch, a Monkeys podcast. everybody i am one of your hosts sarah clark and joining me once again is the one the only tim powers hi sarah it's uh, we always get teamed up together and we do great work i i love it it's fantastic so it's really nice to be in the clubhouse with you again this is a, a yet another exciting time to be a fan as the guys head out on tour right i'm still reeling because you and I both got name checked on Dolan Sings Nesmith. Oh yeah, and life is uh, life is good. Yeah, we got name checked on a Monkeys album. I, okay, yes, <laughs> it's for all intents and purposes, it's a Monkeys album, and it's like ten year old me. It's it's yet another in the list of those things that like ten year old me didn't even think to wish for. You know. Yep. <laughs> yep. Craziness. Absolutely true. So there are some goings on before we get into uh, the one hundred and one. For one man shy. First of all, I will tell you 101 has been one of my favorite segments since you guys started it because I love the minutia. I love the detail, right? I love, I love that you examine it both as, uh, as fans and also as intellectuals and media professionals, you know? So we get, we get the little trivia tidbits, but we also get kind of the behind the scenes and what was going on in the writer's room and the kind of the making of kind of stuff. So I am excited because One Man Shy is one of my favorite episodes because it's one of the rare ones where Peter gets the girl. Absolutely. Uh, we both love it, too, for many of those same reasons. It features uh, Roseanne's favorite writer for the Monkees, Treva Silverman. Um, she co-wrote that episode, and you can really tell because Peter's so well written in it. And um, we had a lot of fun talking about it, and we'll get into that. But we've got some news we need to knock out first. And first is the tour, uh, Less One Day, is still on as of this recording. I feel like I need to, like, timestamp this. We are recording it on... On August 29th, 2021 at 3.20 p.m. As Eastern. Of, I, Eastern. <laughs> <laughs> Things could like, change moment to moment. It, yeah. Literally, as we're recording this, Christian and Sears are, 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 are live streaming. Yeah, yeah. And Cersei just said something before I got on the call about how she just ordered some slippers for the tour bus on Amazon. So uh, it sounds like everything's go with the exception of one date that we heard about earlier this week. Um the, on the official mon Monkeys uh, page, they posted, we are sad to announce that due to safety concerns surrounding COVID-19, the Monkeys farewell tour dates at the Dosi -Do Big Barn in, Wood in Woodlands, Texas, have been postponed. Please contact the venue for more information about tickets and refunds. See you as soon as possible, Woodlands. Um, that is all we know about that. Contact the venue as always. Um, 
there was some discussion on the Zilch Facebook group, as always, uh, after this announcement came out. And somebody who knew the area noted that th- this place is like a dinner theater setup, kind of like City Winery, uh, if you've ever seen a, one of the guys' solo shows at one of those. And also, since the monkeys are requiring either masks or proof of vaccination to get into their shows, my guess is they probably decided that was impossible in that setting between um, probably local um, codes and the fact that people will be taking their masks off to uh, right. eat. It's what they call um, cabaret style, right? Where people are seated around a table yeah. rather than uh, an audience facing front. Yeah, it does sound like a cool way to see the monkeys, but uh, sounds like we're going to have to wait for that for next year. But uh, uh, dates that are still on, and that is all but this. And I think there was one in Biloxi or something that was canceled at some point. Don't, don't take my word for that. I didn't look it up. But um, uh, dates that are still on can always be found at monkeys.com. I will post a direct link to that um, to that page in the show notes. But basically, it's the first post in the list if you go to monkeys.com. There you go. Okay. Uh- in other news, um, Sarah and I were just talking about Dolan Sings Nesmith, which is a tour de force from Christian Nesmith. It is one mm-hmm. of the most well-produced rock and roll albums I've heard in a very, very long time. If you don't own the album and you haven't played it to the point where your neighbors are complaining, you have not <laughs> played it loud enough. It is fantastic. And we are very proud to share that uh, coming up in uh Actually, it just happened a couple days ago, right? Uh, on, on the 22nd, Christian announced that his new album, along with Circe Link's new prog rock album called Cosmologica, Cosmologica, right? <laughs> Cosmologica, appearing at the planetarium today with lasers. Um, Cosmologica will be released on November 15th. Uh, there's one track already on YouTube called Architecture which you can hear playing underneath me right now. So visit your local planetarium and see Cosmologica with lasers. Christian. Well, there's, there's like some lasers and trippy stuff going on in the video too, because there, being Christian and Cersei, they, they like did, they didn't pull punches. They put together a video and um, yeah, it is, it is something. And you guys listen, it, it, in some ways, it sounds like a, a new direction for Christian and Cersei, but in other ways, um, it sounds very Cersei, if that makes sense. Yep. And Christian, I want like 10% when you liter- when you do Laserium for this album. <laughs> when you when you book the Science Center and the and the Laser Center for uh, for this album, I yeah. want to be the guy that does the radio commercial for Cosmologica, the Laser Experience. Enjoy the music of Christian Nesmith and Circe Link. There you go. There you go. I I may (laughs) clip that and send it to him. We'll see. (laughs) There's other big news, Sarah. There is other big news. Yes, there is. Monkeys Day by Day has probably arrived in California. On (laughs) (laughs) it's it's like Schrodinger's um, reference book at this point. Yes. I'm excited for this book because I, I really liked the original version, right? Uh-huh. And I have f- it sitting by my desk right now. I'm thumping the big big tome, and the next one's going to be like 700 pages, I think he said, so yes. like twice as thick. Now, Sarah, and- I, don't, I don't know if your family was like mine, and you and I are both kind of vertically challenged, right? So when we were yep. kids and we had to sit at the, at the grown-ups table, now, I don't know if your family did this, but I had to sit on what was called a telephone book. Are you mm-hmm. familiar with these, right? I am familiar with telephone books. Did you have to sit on a telephone book when you were little? Uh, briefly, yeah. Okay. 
Okay. I, I imagine this book to be the size of a telephone book. March 4th, 1972. David Jones eats a piece of toast with butter. <laughs> it is that level of detail at times. Um, but yes. <laughs> Andrew, we love you. We do. We, we do. And, 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 and I got to tell you, I don't know. You, you know, you were gushing about monkeys 101. I, I, Monkeys 101 would be essentially impossible without this book because um, it 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 has dates. It has all of the song info that we bore everybody with. It has, you know, we can tell like what was going on the week it was recorded and the week it was aired. So if there was anything interesting, we kind of can kind of share that. And the new edition is coming out. It's going to be fabulous. Um, and it supposedly arrived uh, in port uh, in Long Beach, California on the 24th. That's per an email that Andrew sent us back on August 17th. So, Um, we think it's here (laughs) and scheduled to ship around September 8th. Now keep in mind that these dates are squishy. These are not firm dates at all because when the book arrives from overseas, it's still got to go through customs and go to the warehouse for expediting. So be patient. This is not, you know, Andrew's not like printing off your special copy on his home printer and then mailing it to you. There, there is a whole bunch of, of, things in the production chain that are completely out of his control be gracious be generous because this book is worth waiting for be patient you've waited your entire life for this book you can wait a few more days relax but it's going to be great when it gets here and once it comes through customs you can be sure it's going to go out as soon as possible yeah absolutely and i am so excited for it because the stuff he's been teasing when ken has been talking to him uh just is really exciting looking forward to it um and it will be something that we can read while we potentially are listening to monkey mania radio september 17th 1985 michael nesmith gets a haircut (laughs) you gotta love it okay before we throw it over to monkeys 101 um If you weren't aware of this, on September 12th, which is the 50-something anniversary of of Royal Flush appearing on national television in the United States, our friends over at Monkey Mania Radio are launching a 24-7 Monkeys, Monkeys-adjacent music of the Monkeys and Friends radio station on Live 365. Um, I know the folks who are involved. Uh, I've been listening to little sneak previews here and there, and there is some fun stuff coming out of these speakers. Now, here's how you do it. On your smartphone, on your tablet, on your computer, download the Live 365 app. And then once you have done that, search for Monkey Mania Radio. Then once that's complete, push play. And that's all you need to do. Really, that's all you need to do. If you have it on your phone, you can play it in your car. I've done it. It's fun. And you will hear not just the the top 10 hits, right? You're not going to hear Clarksville over and over and over again. You're going to hear B-sides. You're going to hear rarities. You're going to hear live tracks. You're going to hear solo stuff from not just our four guys, but Tommy and Bobby, Harry Nilsson. Other acts that have toured with the monkeys, other acts that are connected through the wrecking crew, other acts that Kirshner did, um, you know, friends of the guys, 
right? Uh, um, covers of songs written by Nez or whatever. The, it is wonderfully interesting stuff. And the hosts are involved. Uh, the hosts who are involved are uh, hardcore fans, you know? So mm-hmm. you're going to hear some stories. You're going to hear some neat stuff. And they've been working really, really hard on this. So I encourage you on uh, September 8th or afterwards, download the uh, live 365 app, search for Monkey Mania Radio, Get out those Q-tips, clean your ears, and dance around your house. Simple as that. Now then. Absolutely. I only need to correct you on one thing. Oh, okay. Uh, You said it was September 18th. It's September 12th, I believe. Even better. (laughs) Should I do it all again? (laughs) Nah, I can loop it in. Or we'll actually just leave it this way. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. do? When I say September 18th, I want you to take that audio clip of you saying September 12th and just drop it on top of my audio. You got it. Okay, cool. Okay. So, (laughs) all right. So coming up next on Zilch is my favorite part of the program, Monkeys 101, right? Where uh, episodes are deconstructed um, almost minute by minute by uh by two wonderfully talented hosts and i get such a kick out of this because i have i've seen all of the episodes so many times that every frame is pretty much embedded in my mind i could do i could recite entire dialogues from memory because i wasted my life um but i always learn something new i always learn something new and interesting and this week's episode this this episode's episode, I suppose, is yep. One Man Shy, which, as I said earlier, is one of my favorite episodes. Peter gets the girl and it it encapsulates everything I love about first season monkeys, which was about the guys all for one and one for all, you know, just coming together to support their buddies. And that was the thing that attracted me to the show immediately from the beginning. Same. So as I mean, uh, the fact that they were a rock and roll band and the fact that they were funny was fantastic. But at the end of the day, they all had each other's back, even when the writers were trying to build in, um, you know, little areas where there were, there was contention and they kind of growled at each other and stuff like that. But they were always with each other, no matter what, right. Davy's grandfather comes, they tear apart Burbank airport, you know, (laughs) they all fall in love with, with Julie Newmar. Of course they do. Who wouldn't, but, at the you know at by the end of the episode they start going well wait a minute what our our buddyhood is way more important yep. right and and that's the, that's the joy of this of this fictional land so um my memory of seeing this episode was in the 70s reruns right mhm and so when the vhs set came out way back a long time ago when they were on videotape right um the romp was to forget that girl ah yes and i uh, that song is for is cemented in uh what i see when the romp comes on but Mm -hmm. instead the original version had i'm a believer yes did and we get into that okay cool cool (laughs) and then when it ran uh on saturday morning in the 70s i think they they ran if i knew right that sounds right. I'll yeah. take a look in later and see. But yeah, that sounds right. So IMDb um, says it's true. Um, okay, I, uh, I I wouldn't doubt IMDb. Of course not. <laughs> I would. They got no, a lot. I'm of, sure that's they got a lot right. of my yes. credits right. Yes. Anyway, uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, if, I know there's 
stuff that 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 they i know for a fact they've screwed up so okay we've gone on long enough and now you need to hear me go on for 45 minutes along with uh, my lovely um partner in uh, monkeys 101 dr roseanne welch so here we are with monkeys 101 for one man shy class class it's monkeys 101 Here at Zilch, a monkey's podcast, we're big fans of education. But as Zilch Nation grows, there's also a growing number of fans who don't know their Frodus from their Freebull Energizer, or who've forgotten the departure time for last train to Clarksville. There are even people in this world who can't solve the equation nine times blue. Oh, but have no fear, because doctors Roseanne Welch and Sarah Clark are here to help with their new series, Monkeys 101. Their regular class sessions and symposiums on special topics will explore all things monkeys, from the deeper meanings of the TV show and music we all know and love, to the cultural impact of the monkeys from 1966 all the way to the present. We'll even explore the monkeys' connections to history then and now. Stay tuned for a fun, thoughtful romp through the world of the monkeys, and who knows? At the end of the episode, you just might be thinking about the monkeys in a different, deeper way. Hello, everybody. Hello, Zilch Nation, and welcome back to Monkeys 101. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Sarah Clark, and joining me as always is Dr. Roseanne Welch. Wonderful to be back here again. We've had a little bit of a gap since our last recording, which was, of course, of a sort of our conversation about monkey chow mein. I, I, I you know, I, I don't want to speak for Roseanne, but I was really, I was really proud of the conversation that followed after it. I thought it was. It, the conversation that followed in the, in the Facebook group, um, people were really thoughtful and really considerate. And no, it was not the worst thing ever in human history, but there were things that, you know, were worth discussing that, that, that weren't the best choices then and aren't the best choices now. And people seem to kind of understand that and see that nuance. Well, you know, I think this is certainly the conversation of the time. And while there are people arguing against it, there's nothing wrong with being sensitive. And there's nothing wrong, in my opinion, from a writer's standpoint, in being less lazy with our jokes. I mean, as we get into this episode, it's pretty good. It doesn't have anything. But there was a moment where I went, oh, which is uh, a quick moment where uh, Peter was saying, I love you. And he got punched because he said it to a man accidentally at the party. And that's a homophobic joke, which isn't necessary in the rest of this really cute and adorable episode. So just little things like that. If you clean them up, it doesn't hurt what we're presenting. And in fact, I think that it lifts it up and makes it last longer. Yeah, I think it was actually during the Cyrano bit, the gardener was yes, when he got punched. Exactly right. And yes, I don't know, I, I couldn't decide whether I was reading that as homophobic or rather reading it as, you know, dude who's trying to, you know, the, this random guy who was, you know, trespassing, <laughs> trying to hit on his, you know, presumably his boss or his boss's, you know, daughter or whatever. So that's true. That's yeah. true. It could be read two ways, which is a good thing. Yeah, very true. So, well, let's get into that because if, um, if Monkey Chow Mein was a bit on the lazy side script wise, One Man Shy is not. In fact, I think it's one of the better written of kind of these early, uh, run of episodes. Lots of great literary references that we're going to get into and lots of, 
just lots of great jokes. And One Man Shy, a.k.a. Peter and the Debutante, uh, logline, bashful Peter gets help from his fellow monkeys when he tries to win the heart of a pretty debutante. Written by Gerald Gardner and Dee Caruso and Treva Silverman, which probably meant that she wrote it and they kind of punched it up as the exactly. uh, showrunners. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, and honestly, it shows her tr- her her touch. I mean, Peter comes off more as like naive slash awkward than as the dummy in this one. I would say, right? And we've discussed in the past that Treva told me when I interviewed her, he was her favorite. And if it had not been for Davy, Peter would be the cute boy on the show because he is cute and he's you know slightly shorter and all of those things that make Davy cute. It's just in Davy's shadow. It's yeah. hard to show off in that way. But Treva saw him that way and presented him that way. And she's absolutely right, as we'll get to later, because I, I, I definitely agree. I think this is, uh, oof. I mean, Devil and Peter, Peter Torque's awesome. He has great bits throughout the series. But this month, this is probably my favorite Peter episode that's really focused on him, you know? I agree. Yeah. Absolutely. Directed by James Frawley, if I didn't say that already. Uh, film dates were September 28th through 30th and October 3 of 1966. So they've been doing this for a while. And I think you can tell because this is another one of those episodes kind of in this as we get towards the midpoint of the first season where you can really tell their chemistry is really starting to click. Um, and the air date was December 5th of 1966. Ratings were an 18.3 rating and a 31.2 share, which uh, comes out to 10,050,000 viewers. Came in second that week. And then let's see. So that's that's the basics about the episode. Well, let's um, uh, let's take a second to think about those ratings, only because in terms of today's world, yeah, that would be a ridiculous runaway hit. I mean, Mad Men got a million people per episode, and it was an Emmy-winning, you know, piece of mm-hmm. wonderfulness. Um, so the idea that that itself was good enough for second place, when today it would rock you out of the world yeah so that's probably it, like super bowl stats today <laughs> exactly it's yeah. hilarious so. yeah just what 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 happened when you had three channels versus 300 plus streaming plus everything else so exactly yeah <laughs> Well, moving on to in the news, um, this was actually a little bit of a slow news week, but there were a couple of things of interest, um, especially for the um, those of us in the baseball world, because apparently on December 8th, um, the Yankees made a pretty terrible trade. They traded Roger Maris for the Cardinals' Charlie Smith. I don't know who Charlie Smith is, which is probably why it was a terrible trade. <laughs> Also on December 8th, uh, this was interesting. The U.S. and the USSR sign a treaty to prohibit nuclear weapons in outer space. Yay. Um, uh, and then on the 10th, we had two Nobel Prizes awarded. Um, Israeli uh, Shmuel Yosef Anyan wins the Nobel Prize for Literature. And the Chemistry Prize goes to Robert S. Mulliken. And that's it for the news this week. Moving on to music, top five on the Billboard charts. Number five, down two, You Keep Me Hanging On by The Supremes. Yes. 
number four, Unchanged, Devil with a Blue Dress, slash Good Golly Miss Molly by Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. Number three, down two, Winchester Cathedral, the new vaudeville band. Winchester Cathedral, you're bringing me down. You stood and you watched out. Beautiful. Excellent. Number two, up three from last week, Mellow Yellow by Donovan. I'm just mad about saffron. Saffron's mad about me. I'm just mad about saffron. She's just mad about me. They call me Mellow Yellow. Quite famously. And number one, up one, back at number one after being here in the past, Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of music right there. Yeah, there was some shuff- a lot of shuffling around within the list, but it, it's actually the same five songs as... Last time, which is I've got a little song here, uh, was the previous week. So it's the same songs in the, the top five, but they shuffled around. However, lurking way down at number 44 is the Hot 100 debut of a little ditty that also made its TV debut this episode. What an unbelievable coincidence. <laughs> and you will be hearing it every, in every subsequent episode for the next few weeks. I'm a believer. <laughs> a little song that's going to be repeated and repeated and repeated in popular culture ad infinitum. Yeah, I mean, it's gotten to the point. I think the one one uh, concert I went to a few years back, uh, one of Mickey's solo concerts. I think he like went into like robot mode when he was starting to do the song. So you know, I don't think he's allowed to like go to the drugstore anymore without doing a verse of that. <laughs> well, if you think about it, on another TV uh, bent. If you've had a chance to see Ted Lasso, he's I all not about yet. It's on the list. Believing. Oh, you okay. must watch it. It's yes, so I know. It's, it's you. You. You told me last time, and yeah, it's it's it and Shit's Creek. I'm I'm starting to dig in there. Problem there's been all this Marvel stuff. I just finished watching Loki, which oh yes, y'all, I recommend Loki. Um, and the the last episode is quite something. I'll just say it put me in the mind of I don't know Willy Wonka. Let's let's go with that. Like the real Willy Wonka with Gene Wilder. I just, you know, that's the real one. I just started Loki because I, of course, did WandaVision and then I had to go back and watch all the Marvel movies I had never watched. So. Right. Okay, well, <laughs> then I will not say anything because there are quite a few twists and tr- turns, as you might believe. So Good. Yeah. And if anyone has not seen WandaVision, oh, please. Beautiful yes. homage to television of the very era we're talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, yeah, the episodes that were in the 60s and 70s really especially, I thought, were a great kind of... um homage to this time as well as just it's it's great television so yeah exactly, exactly. 
Okay, so we talked about top five. We've given you our television recommendations for the next few weeks. Um, <laughs> guest stars this week, George Firth as Ronnie. His actual biggest claim to fame was his work as a Broadway writer. I had not known this until I started digging in the research for this episode. He wrote the book, which means basically everything but the songs, of the 1970 musical Company. And it was directed by Har- Harold Prince, and Stephen Sondheim did the music. And it was basically, it sounds like it was kind of about the life of a single man turning 35. It was nominated for 14 Tonys, which at that time was a record, won six of them, including Best Musical, and George First specifically won for Best Book of a Musical. Yes, and this is a show that is done often in... um in in regional theater, often in summer theater, we did uh, sections of a thing called Side by Side by Sondheim when I was in summer theater, mm-hmm. and they do a song called Barcelona, which is uh, this single guy, uh, Bobby, is um, having a thing with a flight attendant, and she's getting up because she has to get up early and go to the airport. Where are you going? Barcelona. And in the course of the song, he convinces her not to go, and it's this funny, I'll put a link in it thing. It's a beautiful song. There's also a great one about marriage and who's getting married today. And it's this fast patter thing that is very difficult for people to do. And kids who are in summer theater always think it's a giant challenge. So company is a classic. Yes, it is. Yeah. And aside from his Broadway work, which he wrote many musicals, that was not the only one. He also mm-hmm. stepped up a steady career as a character actor, really through the from the early 60s through the 90s. Um, he will make a second appearance on The Monkees as Henry Witherspoon in A Coffin Too Frequent next season. Uh, he will pop up for an episode or two in, in a lot of kind of those typical sitcoms of the era. Uh, the ones that jumped out were, to me were Alfred Hitchcock Hour, Odd Couple, All in the Family, uh, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, uh, and Murder, She Wrote. He he, he okay. uh, appeared in several episodes. I don't know if that was as a killer or a corpse or, you know, one of the 15 <laughs> red herrings that are always in those episodes. And See, cor- for me, his mm-hmm. coolest thing is, um, and I found the link for it, is anyone who knows and loves Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid? Yes, I was about to get there. <laughs> there you go. Sorry. There's no, Woodcock. go for it. Go for it. Go for it. No, I was just going to say, I, I found the clip that people can watch. He's the guy who was guarding the payroll. And so twice when they robbed the train, he won't open the door. And he's adorable and wonderful. And he's a good example. I tell writing students, that's a little character. All he had to do was not open the door. You didn't need mm-hmm. to go into e- any anything in depth. But because they gave him such a desire to be good at his job, he becomes this three-dimensionally interesting character that people remember. And that's good writing combined with then he really pulls it off. Yeah, and I, that seems to be kind of the, the theme throughout his r- acting career, even though, like I said, he's primarily a writer. Um, he takes these little roles and kind of puts his own unique spin on them and makes them a bit more memorable. He also played Van Johnson in Blazing Saddles. Yes. And uh, he was in Cannonball Run, and apparently he was good friends with uh, Warren Beatty and was in a couple of his movies, most notably Bullworth. So... Very true. And I would say when I first, whenever I see him in this episode, um, he reminds me of someone people know more who is Charles Grodin, who just Ah, passed away. He has a very Charles Grodin. Yeah. Yeah. He's always that sort of nasty guy who got the girl and loses the girl to somebody better and nicer and all those things. Mm -hmm. And um, Charles Grodin was a marvelous guy. People should look at his work. He was great in Heaven Can Wait. He was in a couple of Goldie Hawn vehicles. So again, she's from the period. And he actually wrote a couple of really excellent books on being an actor. Um, one of them is called, It Would Be So Nice If You Weren't Here. 
And the title comes from he was staying at a hotel and he ran back into his room to get something and the maid was cleaning it up. And she he got in the way and she said to him, it would be so nice if you weren't here. And um, what he wrote about, which I loved, was in his first book, he talked about how hard it was to get famous in the business. And in the second book, he responded to a bunch of letters of people saying, wow, you gave me the inspiration to keep going. And he said, well, wait, I don't want you to keep going if you're not any good. I I wasn't making any money, but I kept getting good reviews. So I knew that I should keep trying. But if you don't get good reviews or money, please stop. (laughs) Yep. So he was pretty funny. It's definitely he's worth paying attention to. But but Firth is very much like him of that era. Yeah, I, I yeah, I never really made the connection in my head. But really, they do have kind of similar careers, maybe just on a different scale. But it really seems like George Firth. Everything I read about him talked more about Broadway than that. So it seems like that was kind of his first love. But you know, he still made a lot of uh, a lot of small parts very memorable. So excellent for perfect, him. Yeah. Perfect way to summarize his career. And then, of course, as the lovely Valerie, we have Lisa James. Um, I was surprised she hadn't been in more stuff. She had only had about a dozen credits on IMDb. And um, between, like, the 60s and the early 80s, The Monkees was def- by far the most widely known thing that she's been on, I'd say. But she also appeared in A Force of One and Coronet Blue, among some other kind of lesser-known stuff. So. I think that's just a sad reminder of how the shelf life of a woman's career as an actress is shorter than men's because they hit a certain age and they're not castable anymore until they become grandmothers. And a lot of them just quit the business. They get married. They get involved in other things. I have friends who've gone off to do nonprofit work, maybe because mm-hmm. they had a son who had autism or some situation like that, and they get involved in how to work on that. And the acting just is not very important to them yeah. anymore. And they're not getting offered the kind of roles that make it worthwhile. Right. And there's, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with choosing to do something different with your life if that's your choice. But at the same time, yeah, we don't know whether that, I mean, the fact that she was sticking with it tells us that she at least enjoyed it. And she was so, I mean, you just, she drew you in in this episode, you know, and, and I think she could have possibly done some interesting things if she's got, she'd gotten an opportunity. So. I you think know. that's very true. And, you know, it's like the example of Susan Sarandon wasn't old enough really to be a grandmother, but she got offered a grandmother part and she was like, well, if that's what I'm moving into, that's what I'm moving into because I want to work. So, yeah, yeah. And that could be it, too. So, well, that's basically kind of the warm up stuff as we get into the episodes. And I know you wanted to talk about the tons and tons of literary references in, in this uh, episode. It basically made me wonder if Trevis Silverman was an English major. <laughs> Well, she was a playwright, right? She comes out of that New York yep. world, so well-read, certainly. But yeah, yeah, kind of share your thoughts about some of the things that were in there. I mean, we had Cyrano, obviously, but lots of little things kind of sprinkled through this episode. Oh, yeah. Well, and Cyrano, it's funny because I say in the book how I think that, you know, um, it's the monkeys that expose a large swath of 10 million viewers, a large swath of young people to Buddhist ideas, right? And Frodo's Caper, because we're mm-hmm. going to have the, the sutra. But... I realized that also this may be the first place people heard about some of these literary characters. Simply in the behaviors we see the boys training Peter as he's trying to impress her. Yeah, very true with the whole, the cape over the puddle and yeah. Yep. That's Sir Walter Raleigh. Right? <laughs> and Sir Walter Raleigh is an actual historical figure. He was an explorer and he's the reason that he's the, the guy behind the first um, settlement in the New World, right? Roanoke. Yep. which people learned about in college or high school and forgot about because it was the, the settlement that disappeared. Mm-hmm. 
And I remember only a couple of years ago, you know, slowly, slowly, it's like, what happened to all those people? And the most obvious thing was if you can't find the bodies, they incorporate it into the indigenous people. Yeah, I think that's kind of what they decided probably happened is that they exactly. kind of met up with a tribe and just kind of joined forces with them. So Sure, because they were going to starve to death otherwise. Nobody exactly. came back from England with more food and stuff, and they weren't able to take care of themselves. So, I mean, Walter Raleigh set that up, um, and he it's a rumor that he once laid his cloak over a puddle so that Queen Elizabeth wouldn't get her feet wet. But, <laughs> like, there's no real proof that ever happened. But that thing has been going on in movies and plays. It's just a piece of... Before there was TV and movie pop culture, there was literary pop culture. Yeah. Those are the references people knew, and he was one of them, certainly. So that appears in this episode, which I love. Of course, we see um, a little bit of sword play, which comes out of the Robin Hood myth, comes mm-hmm. out of the, the Errol Flynn movies of Robin Hood. Yeah. All of that stuff. Robin Hood has been around. There was a Robin Hood Doctor Who episode. Yes, there was. In the Peter Capaldi reign. So, I mean, so mostly we know that. And then for me, I love the fact that when Peter's trying to impress her, he starts talking about having read Hamlet yesterday. Uh-huh. Hamlet, for heaven's sakes. And I always tell writers, they have to read more Shakespeare. It sounds crazy. He's been dead how long? And he's a white guy. And are we bored with dead white guys? But damn it, Shakespeare just knew everything. He had the plots that we have used over and over again to the point where if someone's a real TV watcher, I tell them, you might or might not know, that Sons of Anarchy, which was the motorcycle drug show, mm-hmm. was pitched to the network as Hamlet on motorcycle. Yeah, pretty much. That's how that stuff is stuck in our popular culture brain. So it's so beautiful that Peter, again, the dumb one, Mm -hmm. has spent the weekend reading Shakespeare. Well, he's not the dumb one in this episode. He is not. Which is probably another reason I like it. Right. Who knows how many kids who like Peter decided to go read that because he said it was cool. That's what really impresses me about this episode. And it does come all out of Shiva and her writing experience. Okay. So let's go ahead and kick this episode off. I think that's quite enough. <laughs> uh, really, uh, uh, Valerie, you, uh, you, you don't want these chipmunks to play at your party. I certainly do, Ronnie, and they're not chipmunks, they're the monkeys. But they're dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> all that hair Ronnie, please Thank you very much, fellas That'll be a week from Saturday I'll see you then Come on, Ronnie oh. I beg your pardon A gentleman does not stare at a lady A beggar can look at a queen Oh Nevertheless, I thought you gentlemen might like to know I found your music primitive, grotesque, and ugly. But it sure keeps your foot tapping, don't it? The Monkees auditioned for debutante Valerie Cartwright's coming out party by performing You Just May Be the One. An impressed Valerie hires them to the disapproval of her boyfriend, Ronnie Farnsworth. You know you're going to hate him just after you hear the name. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, he doesn't hesitate to dismiss their music as primitive, grotesque, and ugly. (laughs) Which is a funny comment because he's just 
outside. I mean, he's supposed to be younger than he is. He's obviously older than the character he's playing. But, you know, he should be a fan, except he's an example of the sort of upper crust who would never have even listened to any rock and roll then. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's, he was, I looked because I was curious. He was 34 when he played this. He felt like he was about 30 in the episode or maybe like late 20s. And right. Valerie, of course, seemed, she didn't quite seem like a teenager. She seemed early 20s, but. Yeah. That's you know, guess. yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that seemed a little bit of a stretch, but in <laughs> any case, <laughs> yeah. but that was just to play up the whole snobby thing. You know, you, you obviously got that he liked her, but I mean, from the get, even before, you know, cute rock stars showed up in her uh, living room, you could tell that uh, she was not exactly uh, taken by his charms. So exactly, exactly. <laughs> she was kind of shopping already, I think. <laughs> <laughs> or shipping, as the kids would say, shopping or shipping or both. Yes, uh, <laughs> and was when the guys prepare to leave in the monkey mobile, they suddenly discover Peter, who, being Peter, is unable to express his feelings, and he, in a strange romantic move, stole her portrait. Uh, okay, so then they, uh, you know, in fear, speed off back to the pad where he continues to admire Valerie's portrait while the others try to convince him to, you know, talk to her as opposed to stealing her, you know, possessions. You know, and when he's talking to the portrait, I'm sure you noticed, and I think oh, yeah. it's interesting, I'll bet this wasn't scripted, he's talking about his childhood in Connecticut. Yes, it's like his real-life backstory. When we were eight, we moved to Connecticut, and yeah, I mean, I assume all that stuff was legit. So. Yeah, they just said, Peter, say something you know, tell her about yourself, and he did. <laughs> but of course, Peter is too shy to talk to girls, so they decide to take him to Valerie's place to make him call to her from from her balcony, and we're just going to throw the whole Cyrano bit in here, since I think I could recite it from memory when I was 10. And yes. Zilch Nation, do, did you have it memorized when you were 10? I want to know. It worked great in Cyrano de Bergerac. Yeah, but what if I freeze up? Don't worry, just keep your lips moving and we'll do the rest. Here she comes. Now call her. Miss Cartwright! I love you, my dear, more than I can tell you. I love you. Mallory, darling, come inside. It's chilly out here. I love I you more every someone. day of the week. I love you twice as much on Friday because I want the weekend off. This is working great, man. Let's do more. Go, 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 go. Speak to me. Speak to me, my darling. I love you. Let me caress your hand. Let me kiss you. I love you. Let me kiss you. Oh, I love you like the swap. No, that's right. I love you like my... Sure, up, Big Peter. Didn't work for Cerno either. <laughs> this whole bit is just, it's so well written. Oh, it's adorable. And, yeah. you know, obviously it's its the cute boy helping the also cute boy but shy do this. And so it works perfectly because of the personalities that have been already settled in our mind as to who the guys are. Yep, I love you twice as much on Fridays because I want the weekend off. What girl would not <laughs> fall for that? <laughs> Very much a, a Mickey joke. Notice how they keep giving the jokes to Mickey. He's the funny guy, and he can pull them off because he's done television before. He can, he's can. he been on television before, and he's, like, cute and self-effacing enough that he can... Yeah. I mean, some of the some of the punchlines they give him are, like, these moldy, oldie vaudeville things that have probably been getting told for 60 years, but he's got the charisma to sell them. That's true. To a new audience, that's yeah. true. 
So later, when Valerie and Ronnie show up the monkey's pad uh, regarding the set list for the de- for the show, um, the guys hide Valerie's portrait by putting a glass uh, a, a pane of mirror over the painting. Uh, while Michael holds it there, Ronnie starts bashing their pad. There is a a joke about combs that I hope sailed over the kids' heads. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I thought that was actually, yes, exactly. And I don't think Treva would have written that. I'm guessing that's Gerald and Dee adding that. That is either Gerald and Dee or just a bit of business. I can see that as the kind of little bit of business they might improvise on the day. So True. That is true. Because <laughs> there was no, like, actual lines in there. So. True. So, and, yeah, and, well, and, yeah, and and when uh, Michael Bri- Mike briefly loses his grip on the mirror, Ronnie sees the painting and it, it you know says he's going to call the authorities. And then when Peter admits to being the culprit, Valerie just tells him to return it at the party, which frankly it was quite nice of her. Yeah, really, he did <laughs> steal something from her house. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, and it's a little obsessive. One today might go. Hmm, yeah, I, I gotta say that 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 that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's sort of that that that's getting a little closer to restraining order territory these days. But <laughs> yeah. it was the '60s, and it was yeah. Peter, and he has the yeah. dimples, so we just kind of play it for you know. <laughs> exactly. Oh, he meant well. So, um, <laughs> so. Valerie, Valerie tells him to return it at the party, and the guys decide they need to strike back at 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 Ronnie. Um, so they basically just start appearing wherever Ronnie and Valerie are together each time, just basically trying to make a fool out of Ronnie. Um, uh, Davies, a French waiter who hammers a cork into a bottle of champagne, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and then um when the they were went to the park and admired some art that turned out to be a uh, water faucet <laughs> that Mike uh, was uh you know messing with it, it, it disguised as a park officer kind of person and then of course Mickey uh approaches the two and uh, offers to sell Ronnie a new derby doll um but then Ronnie recognizes him and 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 uh, and, and and Mickey tries to run off but Ronnie's still suspicious um and then so he decides to turn the tables uh by inviting the monkeys over and uh playing all of these lawn games <laughs> <laughs> which again are part of an upper set Yes. And things that you would see in a very English sort of drawing room sort of thing. Yes, it, 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 this is another one that definitely plays on the notions of, um, class and money and mm-hmm. wealth. Interesting that it comes right after I've got a little song here, which sort of does that, but in a very different way. It's more about, you know, the, the, the hardworking kid getting, you know, cheated out of their scam. money and that, that, you right. know, scam artist in that case, whereas this is more about kind of a class drama well not drama melodrama you know you know what i mean here yeah no it's definitely it's definitely an example of the fact that we say we're a classless society but we in fact have classes and we are very strict about them yeah absolutely and then ronnie of course uh it it beats them all at skeet shooting and archery and badminton um (laughs) mickey swallows the badminton bird at the end (laughs) and uh unfortunately this doesn't impress valerie unsurprisingly too because basically at that point she decides she's going to have peter take him to the bar take her to the party um and then of course peter freaks out because uh you know he just doesn't think he can make that scene and the guys are realize that they should teach him so 
Um, and that's assuming that all of them are better at this than him when we've only really seen Davy have dates. We haven't yeah. seen the other guys yet. That's true, come to think of it. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, in the uh, TV debut of I'm a Believer, we uh, get to see his training montage of a sort. <laughs> And it's beautiful. Uh, yeah, it is wonderful. Uh, you know, there's, there's the gags with him, uh, uh, sitting in her seat at a restaurant to the, uh, spreading his, her coat over a puddle, um, yeah. to opening the monkey mo- mobile car door for her and sticking it in her, you know, sticking her ankle in it. And <laughs> which is kind of, he's still, he's not being stupid, but he's being too nervous because of his shyness. Exactly. And that's a different level of, He's not the buffoon. He's he's bumbling out of that nervousness. That is why I argue that Peter is not the dummy in this episode. Um, yeah, and, very true. And, and also the stuff like with in the park, the girl, them dancing around and them lying in the grass. I got to tell you, that is some of the most attractive footage of Peter Tork during the entire run of the series. Yes, the yeah, that's beautiful stuff. So it's really weird they're doing this mashup of him being bumbling, but also him being romantic and, and desirable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in general, that there's a reason it says at the end, I'm an April conquest. I yeah. see the merits and the attractions of all four of them. Um, but yeah, during those bits, I got to convince them. I'm, uh, I'm always leaning a little bit Peter's way. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the dimples. It's the damn dimples. <laughs> true. True. And I will say in this case, um, one of the things that Shiva told me was that she liked to write the romps. So she chose those moments for to Ooh. have Peter do this. She wrote those things. Cool. Yeah. I'd always wondered about that. That makes sense. So. Some of them, Dave Evans was very good at it too, and he liked to write them. And sometimes other writers would say romp as needed, and one of the two of them would fill in some things. Because something has to be filmed. Now, if right. you, as we go later in the series, we'll see... There's stuff that's simply being taken out of other episodes and they're just reusing footage, which saves money, mm-hmm. but isn't always like this is a very particular romp that suits this story. It's not just a bunch of funny scenes jammed together. Yes. Yeah. And I prefer the ones that are I know there are different takes for different people, but as a general rule, I prefer the ones that are actually linked to the narrative. Yes. I think that's in many ways, because we talked about um, the first and his musical stuff. That's the difference. Um, America is considered the people who invented the modern musical because that's Rodgers and Hammerstein. Right. And it used to be a musical would be, here's a story. These people are in love. Now they'll stop for five minutes and sing about being in love, which we already know. And yeah. uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein were like, well, no, let's give more plot inside the stories to keep the story. It's not like we stop and we start again. Right. So the romps could be just like that. You stop just to have a song and we forget what the hell the story's about. And then suddenly they're. Treva and I think Dave were both good at, mm-hmm. no, what are moments we want to see while we see this story? Right. I mean, it, they don't even just keep you connected to the plot and, and some of the better ones like this one, it advances the plot, you know? Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. So they, so we, we get through this romp and then the guys bring a lady over to play spin the bottle. Uh, unfortunately, Peter always loses since the bottle always points to Davy, even <laughs> when he gets sent out of the room. <laughs> Which was a cute little joke, you know, cause by that point the show had been on an air, air for a while and Davy was very obviously, I mean, he was already, always kind of written and designed to be the chief one the girls went after, but by that time, you know, 
Yeah. <laughs> then we're probably riffing on that a little bit too. <laughs> um, and then Mickey, of course, uh, gets in his uh, Freud get up and psychoanalyzes Peter, but then it turns out that uh, Mickey, Mickey Sigmund Freud Dolan's has more mother issues than, uh, <laughs> Than Peter sure. does. And, so. and what's funny is it starts to be in the 60s and 70s, really the 80s, that we realize that a lot of what Freud was about has been debunked. Yes, yes. Many of his theories were BS. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they you know, were kids. <laughs> craziness on, you know, women's insides and, mm-hmm. you know, hysteria comes from that. Um, we sort of put that all to the side. And, we, you know, the talking stuff is good. Yeah, it's what the say, he, focus on. Yeah, he had a point. Up to a certain point, point. but then, <laughs> yeah, well, another product of his time. How about that? <laughs> true. That is true. So Mickey, Mickey farces him quite well. Yes, I thought so too. And then we cut to the party. Uh, the other monkeys try to give uh, Peter moral support uh, again as he discusses, tries to discuss Hamlet. <laughs> and you know, this is a great place that um, Gerald Gardner made the joke about how he went to one of the to the set once when they're doing a party at the pad, mm-hmm. and he told the customer she had to stop because nobody was wearing a dinner jacket. Right. And she explained to him the kids nowadays don't wear them, but of course, in a party like this. In a higher up, children, teenagers were still dressing in this way. They so it is were one all of the in few suits, episodes. including the guys. Yeah, exactly. This is a place you had to wear a suit, and I think that's funny. Yeah, I thought that was a nice touch there. Yes, absolutely. And so, but he's just, he's failing. He's just going down. And, um, the other guys decide they've got to give him a hand. And, uh, fortunately, they have Taylor and Broker and Yacht Captain Outfits at hand. Oh, yeah, it's more monkey magic. And then we <laughs> have this whole bit here, because this is another one. I just got to play through the whole thing. Mr. Tork! Mr. Tork! Uh, Mr. Mr. Tork! Oh, excuse me. Mr. Tork, I'm looking for Mr. Peter Tork. Oh, yes. Uh, hello, I'm looking for Peter Tork. I'm a stockbroker. I have to tell him to sell short before short changes his mind. He was just a musician. Is he very wealthy? Well, well, wealthy? Oh, he smokes 10 cigars a day and lights them with $100 bills. That's an expensive habit. Well, not really. He gets his cigars wholesale. <laughs> Here's your drink, Miss Curry. Peter, your stockbroker is here. My what? Good evening, Mr. Tork. How about the car? Uh, I don't smoke. Oh, and the accountant told him to cut down. <laughs> oh, go ahead, Mr. Clark, light up. If you don't have any hundred dollar bill, here, I have a blank check. Peter, you didn't tell me you were in the market. In the, in the mar- market? Oh, in the market. You've heard of the New York Stock Exchange? Why, yes. Yeah, well, he owns the New York Stock Exchange. <laughs> oh, hello. Have you seen Mr. Talk? No, you haven't. Thank you very much. Excuse me. Yes. Oh, hello. I'm Mr. Talk's private English tailor. Oh, really? Yes, isn't that nice? Yes. Excuse me. Oh, no, Mr. Talk, I've told you before, if you want that jacket by Thursday, you're going to have to have a fitting right now. Could you hold me cloth, please? Thank oh, you. Oh, yes. Now, let me see. Shoulders, shoulders, shoulders 38. Could you hold that, please? Thank you. Waist, 18. Yes, yes. Yes, head, neck, 28. Oh, you've got big neck. have my cloth, please? Thank you very much. Here we go. You're going to just have the great Honey, 
Will you be sleeping the custom, customary 20 people tonight? No, not tonight. No? Well, I'll look at the map here. I'll show you. Another great bit of a bit of writing, the new Torx stock exchange. And that's one of the ones I get. I, one of the things I love most about this scene, cause I don't know if it's Valerie or if it's Lisa James, but she is trying her dangdest not to bust up laughing during this whole yes. scene. And I mean, yes. it works for both. So it's a great performance <laughs> either way, but that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so in any case, then the monkeys perform. You just may be the one where Peter with newfound confidence and playing bass simultaneously, but Hey, um, beats again, monkey magic beats Ronnie in every type of competition. He proposes, including arm wrestling, hopscotch, weightlifting, dueling. Uh, there's your Errol Flynn there, uh, yep. jumping rope, boxing, fencing, and of course, marbles. <laughs> Exactly. And speaking of which, another romp which moves the story forward. Yes, and uh, another narrative romp. And 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 at the end, we find out that our kind of the tag of the episode, we find out our newly confident Peter has learned that much like the author who por- actor who portrayed him, he actually has quite the way with the ladies. <laughs> Finally wins up winning spin the bottle and is in turn smooched by four girls and I will be right in line behind them. <laughs> <laughs> So this is great. I mean, it's not exactly, um, I mean, it's not forging new paths and narrative structure here. It's, you know, boy meets girl, boy is shy, boy gets over shyness, boy gets girl. Um, but it is, it's done very well in a lot of kind of these, these first season episodes, especially as they got their, kind of got their chemistry together and started working well as a ensemble. Yes, that is very true. Um, anything else you wanted to say about this episode or should we move on to the songs? I think that that is the bulk of it. I mean, we could credit both the costumer and the prop guy for all the cute, fun stuff. This is a real true monkeys episode. And I think we get some of the best ones from Treva and Dave Evans because they love the show. They understood what it was about. They watched all those Marx Brothers early movies and they really did copy them in the ways that later episodes don't necessarily. I think they understood the show and that's one of the things I get from this episode. Yeah. I mean, the first season, especially, I mean, and you get glimpses of it, you know, in the second season, but it really is Marx Brothers with hippies and it works, you know? Yes, it totally is. That's a perfect description. Yeah, but I think there's a certain point and it's a gradual thing. It's not like a light switch. It's kind of, it shifts kind of starting around this point, maybe a little later in the first season on through into the second where it's like less Marx Brothers, more, more sixties and Mm -hmm. until you're just out in, you know, awesome cloud cuckoo land, but cloud cuckoo land by the time you get to like, Frodo's Caper and Monstrous Monkey Mash and all that kind of stuff. So Right, but like we mentioned earlier before we were recording, that in the 60s, we're moving into that period. We're getting into some of that surreal comedy. And so we had mentioned earlier, um, you know, that Roxanne is Steve Martin's version of Cyrano de Bergerac. Yeah. And at this time period, Steve Martin, who himself is a surrealistic comedian, is writing for the Smothers Brothers. Mm-hmm. So that is the the burgeoning of this new generation's version of comedy oh yeah i mean they didn't come up with this idea they maybe you know they they maybe shifted that way more noticeably just because of i think the the audience they were playing to and the the premise of the show but yeah absolutely yeah right yeah 
Uh, okay, so moving on to the songs in this episode. Um, uh, for, first off, of course, is You Just May Be The One, which, I'm sorry, Mike, it's not You May Just Be The One. <laughs> said it wrong in the episode and it was wrong in the credits but it is you just may be the one this is the version um they recorded pre-headquarters obviously because we're still in 66 and i discussed the credits um back in its first appearance which was in episode nine the chaperone uh and then as mentioned this is the first appearance of i'm a believer let me pull my book for the credits Woo-hoo. yep Probably one of the most enduring songs, that one and Daydream Believer. Isn't it funny the word belief shows up in both of those songs? Yep. I've often thought Clark's, uh, you know, they've, they've taken a lot of the great, like, Monkeys tribute bands, uh, songs at this point in the proceedings, but, um, heck, there's even one, uh, named Zilch these days. Hi, guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think if somebody were to start one now and needed, get, need a good name, I would suggest to them Clarksville and the Believers. Oh, I like that. Yes. But yes, I'm a Believer by Neil Diamond, uh, recorded October 15th of 1966 and October 23rd of 1966. Apparently, actually, Nez was uh, originally supposed to do the lead vocal on this, but he said he didn't think it sounded like a hit, so they gave it to Mickey instead. Oops. <laughs> so much for being the smartest guy in the room. <clears throat> uh, rather than pursue that. Um <laughs> Yeah, Personnel, Mickey Dolenz on lead and backing vocal, <laughs> David Jones on backing vocal, possibly Peter Tork was in there with unknown others, Neil Diamond on acoustic guitar, Bucky, uh, excuse me, Buddy Saltzman on drums. Unfortunately, all others are unknown. Um, so that is the story on I'm a Believer, per the old Santa um, Ball book. S- have you seen, uh, there's a new show yet again on Netflix, yeah. um, about pop music and there are four episodes oh, of it. Um, One is on the Brill building. Yes. I've been recommended it. I have not watched it yet, but it's on my list. Yeah. They talked to Neil Diamond and he talks about some of the stuff he wrote and they talk to Neil Sedaka Ooh. and they talk about, um, Carol King. It's really like a monkey's adjacent good piece to watch for half That's an hour. very monkeys adjacent. And and mm-hmm. kind of tying on that, I'm going to make a suggestion that's going to sound a little weird in this context, which is that if y'all are into that whole Brill building pop era, you actually should consider reading the um, the uh, biography of Don Kirshner, The Man with the Golden Ear. We, I read it a while ago for a episode Roseanne and I were going to do, and then well, life got weird. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Peter died, and there true. were two tours and it just kind of we may revisit it at some point in the proceedings but um it talks a lot because the monkeys are really only one chunk of don kirshner's story it talks a lot about that brill building stuff and how it happened and you know it's really interesting to see kind of his take on it uh, though it was not written by him and the guy who wrote it is definitely a fan it's a little hagiography <laughs> at times i think i just mushed up that word but you know you got you guys know what i mean there but it's still an interesting read and yeah you, you learn a lot about carol king and kind of how he discovered mm-hmm. her but also you can kind of understand why she wanted to break out on her own and did you know really not long after um she was writing for the monkeys so exactly exactly the the show is called this is pop and the episode is uh the episode is called the real building in four songs Ooh. Yeah. Very worth seeing. Yeah. She'd better have done at least one of those four songs. So, yes, yeah. Yes, she definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And uh, so that is the story of One Man Shy. Excellent episode. Uh, I always like revisiting this one. This is one of those ones that makes you smile, you know? Yeah. yeah. 
yes, it is truly a sitcom with a problem. And yes. it really makes you like the boys if you still were worried about their long hair and those kinds of things. It it helps you empathize with them, which is the whole point of bringing, quote-unquote, long hairs onto television. Yeah, absolutely. So next time, we will be looking at episode 14 of The Monkees, Dance, Monkey, Dance, uh, where Peter, I... I think this is the first dumb contract he signs. It might have been one before this, but it might be the first dumb contract he signs uh, into a lifetime dance contract. And uh, the monkeys, of course, use disguises, snappy patter, and uh, fancy footwork to help him weasel out of it. This is a fun episode, and it's become a actually become a sentimental favorite of mine. In later years, I uh, interviewed one of the dancing smoothies, the head smoothie, Derek Lewis for Zilch, uh, many years ago, towards the beginning of the episode, and I'm sure. We'll get into some of that when we talk about it. Um, so for now, I think that's everything we have to say about One Man Shy. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Monkeys 101, and we will catch you next time. Take care. Bye. Dr. Roseanne Welch is a Mickey girl and the author of Why the Monkeys Matter, Teenagers, Television, and American Pop Culture. After a career of writing for television shows like Touched by an Angel, Picket Fences, and Beverly Hills 90210, Roseanne shifted gears and went into education. She now writes on film and television studies and teaches in the screenwriting program at Stevens College. Dr. Sarah Clark is an April Conquest and proud of it. When not podcasting here at Zilch, a monkey's podcast, or writing at her blog, Fandom Lenses, her not-terribly-secret identity, she can be found leading a university library in the Philadelphia area. Sarah is convinced that her utter inability to understand Head when she was 11 sparked the intellectual curiosity that led her into academia. If only she'd known the guys themselves didn't understand Head either. Okay, thanks everybody who is still listening and has not uh, turned that off. Tim, I know you shared kind of some general thoughts, but uh, anything else you want to share about One Man Shy? (laughs) George Firth is one of my favorite monkeys antagonists of all time. I Hell love that yes. He, I he's love up that there he, with Monty Landis. Yes. He is up there with Monty Landis. Because he's such the, like he's, there have been um, parallels drawn to the monkeys and the Marx Brothers, right? And uh-huh. a cat like George Firth is like their Margaret Dumont because he's just yes. a little too good for these long-haired weirdos, right? And so it mm-hmm. gives them an opportunity to, in one of the episodes, literally puncture uh, yep. this this pompous uh, pompous jerk. So I absolutely love Ronnie's just over-the-top marble-eating performance <laughs> where he literally <laughs> chews the scenery. He literally, yeah. chew- he's an actor literally chewing the scenery. You gotta love it. Um, mm-hmm. So much good stuff. Yeah, it's a classic episode, and um, you can tell everybody's having fun in it too. So, you know, that's always the good ones where you know, you can, it, it just is a good story, well written, well acted, well directed. I mean, it's it's and the guys have hit their stride. And the guy, I, yeah, exactly. The guys have really hit their stride. They are they are really humming along as an ensemble by this point and you can really see it the way they 
just throw throw scenes back and forth to each other and it's just so much fun and uh yeah really one of my favorites yeah this is uh this is this is classic prime monkeys this is they're they're at the top of their game right here Um, absolutely i would say this point through about uh, about halfway through the second season it for me is their peak so yeah yep all right so uh thanks again for listening sorry to keep you awake and We will look for you next time on Zilch, where we'll have oodles of monkey goodness. There's a, there's a t-shirt, Ken. Oodles of monkey goodness, Zilch. Get it, get it where you get your podcast today. Uh, there you go. So until next time, I'm Tim Powers. And I'm Sarah Clark. Smile Bye, later, monkey fans. Yep. <laughs> and that's our show. Zilch is an online nonprofit monkeys audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Burke. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around.